This morning we are beginning a new series on the portions of Genesis that cover the life of Abram, or as he will later be known as Abraham. We find this section of Genesis in roughly chapters 12 through 25. Back in the year 2016, which seems like forever ago, I preached through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which cover the creation of the world, the fall into sin, Noah's Ark, the Tower of Babel. And so if you are curious about those things, or weren't here, or just simply don't remember, and if you want to know more about that, because we're skipping over those right now, I'd be happy to give you, hey, these are the old recordings, or here are my notes. We can talk about them some other time. But for today, and for these next few months, we are starting with Abram. One way to think about the distinction between Genesis 1 through 11 and 12 through the rest of it is Genesis 1 through 11 is how did God's good world end up a mess? And then Genesis 12 is the beginning of how is God cleaning up that mess? So Genesis 1 through 11 was good creation, now a mess. And Genesis 12 is really the start of the cleanup plan that starts with Abram, goes through to Jesus Christ. And so this morning we are looking at Genesis 12, 1 through 9, as we get started in looking at the life of Abram. Uh, I will likely be calling him both Abram and Abraham. And if that bothers you, I apologize because I get confused. But he's Abram right now. He will be Abraham. So you can open up your Bibles or look in the bullets and we're in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. For a little bit of context, Abram lived roughly 3,500 to 4,000 years ago. So he's old. Long time ago. Hear the word of God. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Let us pray. 
Oh Lord God, we give thanks for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is living and active. We thank You that Your Word speaks to us today. We thank You that Your Word gives life. And so God, I pray today that You would bless the hearing of this Word. That You would bless me as I proclaim Your Word and expound it in spite of my own sin and weakness. Help me, O Lord, to be faithful in my proclamation. Help me to speak what is true, O God. And I pray, O Lord, that You would give us ears to hear. That even now, O God, You would open our hearts and minds to receive Your Word and to believe it and to know that what You say is true. Holy Spirit, work in the preaching of Your Word and work in us, molding and shaping us in such a way that we are conformed to the image of Jesus and that we are given faith like the faith of Abram. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking today at our passage and and really starting with Abram, one of the things that we're going to notice as we do kind of our New Testament readings over the next few months is this guy, Abram or Abraham, comes up a whole lot in the New Testament. In fact, he is given throughout the New Testament as this example of faith. He is a pattern for us to follow. And we see that pattern in miniature here in these nine verses. It's a pattern that goes like this. God makes a gracious promise or promises. Someone then responds in obedient, worshipful faith. And then they receive the partial blessing that blesses them and in turn blesses others. That pattern is really the pattern of Abram's life. And we'll see it is a pattern that also comes into our lives as well. So we're going to start with step one, go through step three. And beginning in Genesis 12, we see the Lord just start speaking to Abram. And the Lord makes a bunch of promises to bless Abram. He gives an opening command to go to the land that he will show him. But right after that, he utters seven promises of blessing to Abram. And these are promises. Very clearly, they start with, I will bless or I will make, or I will curse, which is like the anti-blessing to others. And so God is telling Abram in these verses, here is what I am going to do for you. Okay, so, so what did he promise to do for Abram? Well, one commentator helpfully breaks these promises into four categories. People, place, protection, program. Gotta love it, four Ps. People, place, protection, program. So first, God promises Abram a people. He says, I will make of you a great nation. So obviously that implies descendants for Abraham, this childless man in his 70s, but it means more than posterity because that word for nation is the right word in Hebrew. It is not just family reunion. It's you will be a people, a nation, a people that has a territory and a government that you, from you, will come this nation. And so he promises him a people. Second, he promises Abram a place, that this nation will need their own place, their land to possess, to occupy and defend. And so God initially says, hey, I'm going to show you where it is. And then in verse seven, he's like, ta-da, here it is. To your offspring, I will give this land. And so Abram, this nomadic pilgrim living in tents, will one day possess this promised land. So people, place. The third thing is protection. The Lord promises, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. 
See, in those days long ago, Abram could not rely on some standing army like the U.S. Army. He couldn't dial 911 and call the police if someone attacked him. He would have to defend himself. And so God promises to do the defending for him. That God would divinely bless and curse people depending on how they relate to Abram. And that's what we're going to see next week. So protection. The fourth thing then, God promises a program, a purpose, by which Abram would be a blessing to others. He says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So not only is Abram being blessed, he will be a blessing to others. That God's blessing will flow through Abram to other people. The last line of verse 3 makes it sound really nice. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So even though God is going to work essentially through this family, the Abraham family that we will later call Israel or the Jews or whatever you want to call them, the family of Abraham, that blessing will not be contained to that family. It is meant to be the fountain from which blessing flows to all the other families on the earth. And if you stop to consider what Abram was promised in those four things, God really covers like the most important things in life. You will have a family and descendants. It's relational. You will have a place to call your own. That's nice. I I know this belongs to me and I can stay here. He will be protected from enemies. We all like security. And he will also have a divine purpose in blessing others. Those are amazing promises that anyone would be happy to have. And so it begs the question... Well, why did God make these promises to Abram? What is so special about him? We don't know. I know that's like a really disappointing answer. Like, nothing is the answer. Our Old Testament reading gave us a little background, but all we learned is that Abram was descended from one of Noah's sons by the name of Shem. What we don't find anywhere in Genesis 11 or Genesis 12 is what we read in Genesis 6 about Noah. This is how Noah is introduced to us earlier in Genesis. It says this, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. There's nothing like that about Abram. Nothing at all. Now, to be fair, it also doesn't say Abram was the worst and the most wicked of all people. We can piece together from other places in the Bible that they were worshiping other gods in Ur of the Chaldeans. But all this shows us is that God made these promises to Abram by his grace. Grace, like bless, is another kind of churchy word that we don't use all that often outside of church. But grace essentially means that these promises were unearned, unmerited, undeserved. That the reason Abraham was blessed had nothing to do with Abraham and everything to do with God. That God simply chose to bless Abraham because he wanted to. If anything, God may have chosen Abraham simply because It's going to be really awesome when I make this guy the father of nations. This old childless couple, and I'm just going to 
boom, just make it explode. And so by making promises out of his grace, God gets all of the glory and all of the credit. That means there is nothing special about Abram before God makes promises to him. Abram did not deserve these promises. God didn't owe Abram what he promised him. God freely chose to make these promises to Abram out of his own desire to bless him and bless others through him. And so what we see is it is only after God makes promises to Abraham that we see him as an example of our faith. And his exemplary faith jumps off the page right away. And so we read in verse 1 that before making all those gracious promises, God gives Abram a command. He says this, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Do you hear how that gets more and more personal? Go from your country where you live. Go from your extended family, your kindred. Go from the immediate family of your father's house and go where I tell you. He doesn't tell him exactly where to go. It's like, leave, go that way. More directions to follow. That's pretty much what happens. That's wild. But even wilder is how Abram responds in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord told him. He did that. He took his nephew Lot, his wife Sarai, their servants, their livestock, all their possessions, and he went. Our New Testament reading from Hebrews 11 says more about this. It says he went out not knowing where he was going. There was no Google Maps. If Lot in the back of the camel was like, Ugh, Uncle Abram, are we there yet? Abram could legitimately say, I don't know. We're just like going. I assume we're not there yet because God didn't tell me to stop. But he didn't know. All Abram knew was, I need to be somewhere other than where I am right now. Abram was given a command to obey, and he obeyed it. It's really nice to see that in Genesis, especially after Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve were given a command, and they disobeyed it. Here, Abram is given a command, and he obeys it. Don't worry, he's going to mess up next week. He's not perfect, okay? But his obedience is evidence of his faith. Abram trusted God and his promises, so he obeyed. That tells us that faith is not just a religious feeling. Too often in our world today, we think about faith as a kind of like spiritual antenna. And we try to like tune the station to like, oh, I'm trying to receive God's peace, but it's staticky. Let me stand over here and there. My faith is now tuned in to the station of peace. That's not what faith is. Faith is trusting God and His Word. And that faith produces obedience. Faith without obedience is useless. I want to take a little side road here for just a minute to also note that Abram's faith is a communal faith. His faith directly impacted his own life and the lives of those under his care. We are not told if Sarai, Lot, and the other servants trusted God's word or not. Some may have, some may not have. It was irrelevant. Now, some might attribute this to 
evil patriarchal control that is violating the individual freedom of Sarai and Lot and all the others who were dragged along away from home. I would call it godly leadership because Abram was leading those in his care in obedience to God's Word. His obedient faith set the direction for his family even when he did not have all the answers. Does our obedient faith lead others? Husbands, does your trust in God lead your wives to follow Him as well? And parents, does your obedience to God lead your children to obey His commands and trust in Him? Church leaders, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, pastors, does your faith lead those who are here to follow Jesus more? Faith is not just a private thing. It is a communal thing that does impact others around us. And we see that Abram's faith led to obedience. And it led to one other thing as well. It led to worship. That after Abram arrived in the promised land at a place near Shechem, near apparently a famous tree, the Lord appeared to him again in verse 7. And he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And it says, Abram did this. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he goes a little bit further. He builds another altar. And we are told at that time, he called upon the name of the Lord. And so what do we see here in the worship of God? One author writes that we see the twin elements of worship. Atonement and testimony. The altar emphasizes the need for atonement in worship. That we are sinners who worship a holy God and we are unworthy to come before Him on our own. But God graciously provides atonement through sacrifice. For Abram, that would have involved sacrificing animals. Acknowledging that I deserve to die, but this animal dies in my place, that I can be with you, God. And so Abram had atonement, but he also called on the name of the Lord, which was a public verbal testimony to who God is, what God has promised to do, and our commitment, our pledge, our profession of trust in Him. This calling on the Lord would help explain this weird animal stuff we were doing on the altar. These twin elements of worship persist today. That we worship God by proclaiming the atonement that Christ made in His sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And we call on God's name through songs of praise, prayers to Him, and through humbly listening to His Word. And so Abram's faith was a worshipful faith. Just as faith must lead to obedience, so also faith must lead to worship. And so it's no wonder that Abram is referenced as the example of faith in the New Testament. That just as Abram's faith led to both obeying God's commands and regular worship, so also our faith must express itself through obedience and regular worship. That also means the opposite is true. That those who profess faith in Jesus today, who neither obey God's commands nor worship Him regularly, reveal that they do not have the kind of faith the Bible describes. A counterfeit faith. Genuine faith. 
looks like the faith of Abram. Nowhere does it say perfect obedience. Nowhere does it say perfect attendance at worship. But it is obedience. It is worship. So we see Abram as this example of faith. We're like, man, he must be like, things are going great for this guy. But if you check in at verse 9, and Abram journeyed on toward the Negev, which is kind of a southern deserty area of the promised land. And so we see at the end of chapter 9 that not a whole lot has changed for Abram. All that really changed is his location, his mailing address. He's not a great nation yet. His name is not yet great. All the families of the earth have not yet been blessed through him. Other people still live in the land that God is giving to him. God did not act as a genie to immediately fulfill his promises and go, thousands of descendants, and there they go. Whoa, we don't even have cribs yet for these kids. Like Nothing. He did not all of a sudden wipe out the Canaanites and they're all vaporized off the face of the earth. And now that land is his. Abraham possesses the promises, but he still waits their fulfillment. He is blessed because he has the promises. But as we will see, Abram waits a long, long time for fulfillment. In fact, Abraham dies before he sees the fulfillment of all of these promises. A little bit later in Hebrews 11, we read this, that he died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Well, how could he see them then if he didn't have them? Abram could only see the fulfillment of these promises through eyes of faith. Eyes of faith is not some superpower where I literally can see what I need to see. Eyes of faith is seeing what God promises is true when what our eyes see do not reflect that. Abram could only trust what God has said and that God would be faithful to keep His Word. And as we will see through our series on Abram, this is what faith looks like. We possess the promises of God that He has made by His grace, but they are still only at best partially fulfilled right now. And we trust that the Lord will completely fulfill them in His good time. That is the life of faith. And it can be a struggle. I was planning on preaching this like two Sundays ago, I guess it was. Sadly, my mom passed away very unexpectedly two and a half weeks ago. And so I've been sitting on this text for these two and a half weeks. And it's been really helpful for that. Because with what my eyes can see, I can only see the loss. I can only see the gaping hole in our lives. I can only see the casket being lowered in the ground. I can only see death. But one of my prayers has been, God, give me eyes of faith. Give me eyes of faith to see that that is not the full story. That there are promises in God's Word. Be it John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because with my eyes, all I can see is perish. But with my eyes of faith, I trust in eternal life. 
John 11, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though she die, yet shall she live. I can see that with eyes of faith. That's, it's a struggle. It's Abram's struggle all of his life. I have this promise and I don't see it. But I know it's true because God told me it's true. And so for us, as those who possess the promises of God, can we obey God when all we have is promise and not fulfillment? Can we worship God when it seems like all we have is promise and not fulfillment? Can we trust God when His gracious promises are not yet completely fulfilled? And we can. By God's strength and His grace, we can because we can know that God is a God who keeps His Word. We know that the promises made to Abram in Genesis 12 were fulfilled and are being fulfilled still through Jesus Christ. You see, Abram was blessed with many descendants. One of those guys was Jesus. And God didn't just make a great nation. Though He did do that, He has made a spiritual kingdom through the offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has been given a greater name than even Abraham. A name that, at that name, every knee will bow and tongue confess that He is Lord. And in Jesus, we are blessed with all the spiritual blessings that God promises in His grace. So that we then can be a blessing to others proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And in Jesus, people from all over the world have been and continue to be blessed. And so the promise made to Abram in Genesis 12 has partially been fulfilled. But we await the complete fullness and seeing it in all its glory. But God gives us just, He, he gives us like a peak. In Revelation 7, the Apostle John has a vision. I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's our picture. And with eyes of faith, we can see that now. Today, I want you to hear how inclusive that gathering is. That vision is not a vision of those who deserve to be saved. That is not a gathering of those who have earned their spot in heaven. It is a multitude who have been saved by God's grace, by trusting in His promises. And so for you today, hear the promise of the Gospel. That salvation is available to all who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That that hope is for all of us by His grace. And you may be like, that sounds too good to be true. I'm not sure I buy that. How do you think Abram felt, you know? Just as God spoke to Abram, unbelievable, wonderful promises. So God speaks to you the gospel promises by His grace. Will you respond in faith? Will you trust in God? And will you believe those promises when everything your eyes see make it hard to believe them? For we, as God's people, walk by faith. 
trusting his promises, obeying his commands, and worshiping him regularly. We walk by faith, asking the Lord to bless us, that we would be a blessing to others. And we walk by faith, delighting in all of the partial fulfillment we have now, knowing the fullness is surely coming. So may the Lord bless us with the gift of faith that we would trust Him with eyes of faith looking ahead to His fulfillment. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank You for the promises of Your Word and we pray that You would help us to trust those promises. The promises of salvation in Christ. And so open our hearts. Give us that gift of faith. Abram was an old nobody when he heard the promises. And whoever we are, wherever we are, whoever our neighbors and family may be, they don't deserve them either. And yet God, by His grace, extends these promises to all the earth. But we need to trust them. Help us, O God, to have faith and to trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, the offspring of Abraham, our King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.